Uh, Pastor Ricky found the 10 most loved psalms. And he put together an eight-week series of eight of those psalms. And I'm blessed today to go through the 23rd psalm with you. That's probably the most well-known psalm that there is. And it's interesting, when you ask people what they remember about that psalm, they will remember, Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. And I find it interesting. What is it? Why would you remember that part? What is it? Are people hurting? What is it that people would remember that part of it? Let me read it to you. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is a call of confidence. Confidence that I can rest in the care of the Lord. What do you rest in? What do you rest in? Do you rest in the fact that when your engine light came on, you were able to bring it to a mechanic instead of having your husband fix it? Because the last time he fixed it, you put it in reverse and the windshield wipers and the radio came on. Do you rest in the fact that that policeman flying up behind you with his lights on gets in the other lane and goes around you? <laughs> yeah. Do you rest in the fact that your test results came back negative? Why should we rest in the care of the Lord? Well, how about because he tells us to? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that sound inviting? To be able to give up the cares and worries of this world and rest in the care of the Lord. But what exactly does that look like? What does it look like to rest in the care of the Lord? It begins with trust. Trust in the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Complete trust in the Lord. Resting in the care of the Lord is directly related to the amount of trust you have in Him. When you rest in the Lord, you're quiet. There's no murmuring. There's no complaining. You are content to wait in his time frame for things. You stop depending on your own wisdom, your own intelligence, your own ability to manipulate situations. You cease to fret and worry. I've got to be honest with you, that's hard for me. I've been a self-employed, sole proprietor, paint contractor for 42 years. I'm always in control. Everything is about me. I do everything from the prep work to the paperwork. 
I am the chief cook and bottle washer. I do everything. And for me to give up control of something is very hard. It's very hard. But it's best summarized in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful scripture. The neat thing is, we have a lot of people in the Bible that under some incredible situations were able to rest in the care of the Lord. Think about Noah. God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Noah's like, great, an ark. What's an ark? You know what an ark was. God says, it's a great big boat. It's going to fit your family, two of every kind of animals, and you're going to be able to float on water in the flood. He's like, a flood? I don't see any water. What's going on? Till then, it had not ever rained. But you know what? For the next hundred years, Noah worked at building an ark, a thing he didn't even know what it was at first. Tell me he did not receive criticism from people. Tell me they didn't laugh at him. But he was able to do that because he rested in the care of the Lord. Think about Abraham. God promised him a child with Sarah. It finally comes along. And his son is coming of age. God comes to him and says, I want you to load up a couple of people, your son, and all the stuff to do a sacrifice, and I want you to go to this mount. And he does. And he builds the altar. He puts the wood on top, and he puts his son on top. And he raises a knife that he's going to plunge into the chest cavity of his son and take his life. The Lord did stop him, but he was going to do it. And he could do it because he rested in the care of the Lord. Look at Jacob. He works seven years for Rachel. Only to wake up and find out it's her older sister that he gets. So he works another seven years for the one he really wanted, Rachel. And then Laban treats him poorly. But yet he came out of it okay because he rested in the care of the Lord. Look at Joseph. His 11 brothers throw him in a cistern. It's a thing that walls are smooth. You're not climbing out of there. He's laying there thinking, well, it's either going to fill up with water and I'm going to drown or I'm going to die of starvation. Then they yank him out of there, sell him into slavery. He works himself into a good position. And then he gets falsely accused of something and spends the next 14 years in jail. How did he get through that? He rested in the care of the Lord. How about Moses? We, we don't even know where to start with Moses. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just the griping of all the people for 40 years. I mean, <laughs> just that. He had to be resting in the care of the Lord. Look at Rahab. Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. And what does she do? She hides them. She then smuggles them out. And then she lies to the king about it under penalty of death. How could she do that? She rested in the care of the Lord. Look at Gideon. 
bless his heart. And if you're from the South, you know what's coming. <laughs> when we meet Gideon, forgive me, but he's dumber than a bag of hammers. I mean, he's threshing wheat. You know how they threshed wheat. You take your winnowing fork and you throw stuff up in the air. And that thrust kind of separates the husk from the kernel. And the, and the husk is real light and the wind blows the husk this way and the kernels fall down. Well, normally it's done on a hill where there's wind. Gideon is in a hole trying to thresh wheat. So it looks something like this. And there's God watching him. And what does God decide? He decides, that's the guy I'm going to use to wipe out the Midianites. It's like, are you kidding me? So he goes to Gideon, and he tells him what he wants to do. And Gideon decides he's going to make God prove who he is. So he says, okay, God, I'm going to put my bath mat outside the front door. And if I get up tomorrow morning and the bath mat's wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know you're the Lord. He gets up the next morning, bath mat's wet. He squeezes it out into a bowl. I don't even want to know what he did with that. And then he decides that's not enough. He says, okay, we're going to do this again, only this time the ground's going to get wet and the bath mat's going to be dry. God does it. And yet when God came to Gideon and said, I want you to take 300 men and go up against conceivably 135,000 Midianite soldiers, he stopped what he was doing. He went out there and he defeated them. And he only did it because he rested in the care of the Lord. Elijah, the 450 prophets of Baal, they couldn't call their God down because, of course, they don't have a God. There's only one God. Elijah calls down God on his sacrifice. It licks up the sacrifice, the altar, the gallons of water around it. And then Elijah continues on to kill the 450 prophets of Baal. How do you do that? When you rest in the care of the Lord. Of course, after that, he ran and hid from one woman, but that's a different sermon. That's like a Mother's Day sermon or something. I don't know. Look at, look at Daniel in the lion's den. God shut the mouths of the lions because Daniel rested in the care of the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That furnace was so hot, the people pushing them in there died. But they came out fine because they rested in the care of the Lord. And we come to David. Now, David's out in the field, tending sheep. He was a shepherd. And he gets a call to bring his brothers breakfast on the battlefield. So he brings them breakfast on the battlefield. Here's the Israelites on one side of the valley, and, and there's the Philistines and one big, tall, ugly one standing there. And he's calling out things against the Israelites and talking bad about their God. And David's like, why don't you do something about this? They're like, oh, but look how big he is. And he's like, yeah, you can't miss him. <laughs> so David bends down and he picks up five smooth stones. He only needed one. Hit him right here. Killed him. And he walked over and with the guy's own sword cut his head off. How do you do that? When you rest in the care of the Lord. When he was chased by Saul and Saul's entire army 
Because Saul wanted to kill him because he was jealous of him. And you know, David had a couple of chances to kill Saul. But he said, I will not kill the Lord's anointed. How do you do that when you rest in the care of the Lord? When his daughter Tamar was raped by his son Amnon. When his son Absalom plotted for two years and killed Amnon for raping Tamar. When Absalom could not wait for the crown. He was next in line for the crown, but he couldn't wait for it. And he tried to take it from his father. It was so bad, David had to leave with all his people. He had to leave where his palace was. And he was on the run again, but this time from his own son. And when he told his military leader, Joab, do not kill my son. But then Joab came back and said, yes, I killed Absalom, your son. How do you get through that? Only when you rest in the care of the Lord. Now David reflected on resting in the care of the Lord. And he put it down in terms that he knew best. Now there's something that you do. There's something that you know that you relate everything to. And that's what David did. He related it to being a shepherd. I've been a painter for 42 years. I relate everything to painting. The other day, a buddy of mine came to me and said, man, I, I got to talk to my wife about buying a new truck. I said, oh, you got to do some prep work, buddy. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I said, the first thing you do is you put a coat of primer on. You do that by texting her about 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon and tell her you've been thinking of her all day. <laughs> I said, on the way home, you get some flowers and you caulk up the cracks when you get home. And then... And then you put a nice fresh coat of finish coat on that by taking her out to dinner. And then you do the trim work. You go out and you buy her an outfit. And not just the dress. I'm talking the dress, the shoes, the purse, the jewelry, everything. And while she's standing there looking at that shiny new paint job in the mirror, that's when you start talking about a new truck. <laughs> Everything's related to painting. I met the Lord while I was painting. I was painting the outside of a church. I was on the very last section of wall. And it, the job had gone over in materials and time. And I was really losing money. And I was running out of paint. And I thought, you know what? I'll just thin that down a little. Just a little bit. I started putting it on. I thought, man, that's nice. Thinned it down a little more. Oh, it went even easier. I just a bunch more in there and I had just enough to get to that last section of the wall step back and look out of the clear blue sky came a torrential rain and washed every drop of that paint off the wall and a booming voice said repaint and thin no more <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> they asked me not to do that one but I did it anyway They, uh, they figured David wrote this towards the end of his life. And isn't it interesting that he had been a king far longer than he had been a shepherd. And, and it would have been right to equate God to a king. But he equated him 
to a shepherd. Now we're going to see two pictures of the Lord in this verse. The first one is verses 1 through 4 that show God as a caring shepherd. Verses 5 and 6 show him as a gracious host throwing a banquet, banquet, sparing no extravagance for a very special person. Now, there's three major things I want you to see about God as a shepherd. He's a provider, a pathfinder, and a protector. I'm a Baptist preacher, three points and alliteration. I'm in the club. <laughs> He's a provider. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, God, Yahweh, Abba, Father, the man upstairs, the big chair, the big kahuna. That's who he's talking about. There is no other God. One true and living God. And he says, he is my shepherd. It was right to call him a shepherd. That's what Israel did. Israel referred to God as our shepherd. David makes it personal. He is my shepherd. He is not just in care of a group. God is personal to me. And I am personal to Him. He knows me personal. I shall not want. The shepherd provided everything for his sheep. They did everything. I wanted to win the lottery Friday. You know what I could do with half a billion dollars? If y'all have ever seen the, the red truck that's way lifted in the parking lot, that's mine. If I won that lottery, monster trucks would look like low riders. <laughs> I love big trucks. But that's not what God's talking about. That's the temporal. That's the stuff that goes away. David had all the temporal things. David was a king. He had everything he could want in the temporal things. God's talking about in the spiritual, eternal things. He provides everything. But how do we get it? Well, we're told in John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I decide not to desire more than what the Lord my shepherd gives me. He makes me lie down. In green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. Sometimes sheep, most of the time sheep, don't know what they want or need. And you've got to make them do things. The shepherd would go out into the field and he would look for all the poisonous weeds and pick them. He would chase off any of the snakes. He would go to the surrounding shrubbery and make sure there were no predators lying in wait. And he'd bring the sheep in. And they would eat until they were full. And they would actually just lie down right there where they were eating. And rest right there. Now, sheep are a very, very timid animal. They're scared of everything, including moving water. Water going over rocks in a brook freaked them out. So what the shepherd would do is he would go into the stream. And from the bank out, he would start stacking rocks. As a wall. And on the downstream side of that wall would be a calm pool of water. And the sheep would be able to drink from there. As we seek God, we're not getting his second best. He gives us everything we need. He's a 
faithful shepherd. And he gives it to us according to his purpose and his agenda. Which doesn't always meet ours. He restores my soul. Sheep are prone to wander away from the flock. Sheep are so dumb they wander away from it. They don't even know they've done it. And the shepherd knows. He knows the head count and he knows each sheep. I don't know how they know that. I look at sheep. They all look the same to me. But the shepherd knows his sheep. And when one of them's missing, he goes and gets it. No problem. We're prone, we are prone to wander away from the Lord. We get distracted by things in life. And you know what? Oh, I forgot to read my Bible today. I forgot to pray. I forgot to do this. But you know what? He leaves the 99 and he comes and gets us. Oh, praise him for that. And his provision renews and satisfies according to his will perfectly. Because his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. He's a pathfinder. He guides me. The shepherd was a guide. The shepherd didn't need to know where the green pastures were, where the still water was. They just needed to know where the shepherd was. That's what we need to know is where the shepherd is. Um, there's, there's a Bible study called Experiencing God. And it talks about how, and, and I'm guilty as this, how we will go and decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then we pray for God to back us up and help us. That study talks about, instead of doing that, find out where God's working and go work with Him. Imagine how much more you can get done in paths of righteousness for His namesake. A shepherd is going to lead them up the safest path. It's not going to be the quickest, but he needs to do it up the safest path because his name is on the line. If he can't even lead his own sheep up the right path, if he loses sheep along the way to, to lions or bears or whatever, he loses his good name. Our shepherd's name, character, everything is righteousness and love. And the paths he leads us on are always going to be the right path. We never, ever have to worry about that. He's going to lead us down a path that exemplifies and glorifies Him. That's what we need to do. Even though I walk through the fat valley of the shadow of death, He protects you. Walking through a valley with the sheep is when they were the most vulnerable. You've got a hill here, a hill there. Water washes down into the valley. Lush foliage. That's great, except there's plenty of places for predators to hide. And that's when they are at their most vulnerable. But if you'll notice, that's not their destination. He leads them through the valley. They don't stop there in the shadow. God walks us through the shadow of death. The fear of it, not the substance of it. Nor is it the final destination. And just remember, for there to be a shadow, there has to be light. The light of Christ. I fear no evil, for you are with me. The presence of the shepherd did not remove 
the presence of predators. But they had seen the shepherd fight off the predators before, and they felt safe around him. God does not remove sin or temptation in our life, but he does give us a refuge from it. We can hide in him. He gives us a way out every time. And ultimately, it strengthens our trust in him. And it satisfies our longings to receive from his hand. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, there's some expositors that think that that was the same thing, but there's some that think it was two separate things. And I tend to go with that. The rod was a heavy club that the shepherd kept to beat off predators. And the staff was that shepherd stick with that curved crook on it. And what he used that for was to, to keep the sheep in line. Just a little tap here and there. Keep them going the right direction. And then every now and then, one of them would end up on the side of a cliff. And he'd have to take it and with that hook, hook them right up under here, pull them right back up to safety. Jesus was God's rod in the bod. Let me tell you. Jesus conquered sin, death, and Satan. He handled it for us. But you know what? He still uses some correction. He still keeps us on the path. Now we turn to verses 5 and 6. And now instead of the shepherd, God is the great host. And David is no longer a sheep, but he is a person who is being honored by God in the presence of his enemies. The table is a banquet celebrating God's provision and protection. It's not a meal hastily eaten. It's a meal you sit down to and you're comfortable and you're living in the protection and love of a powerful God that loves you and is there for you. To sit at his table is to enjoy the fellowship and communion with him. Receive blessings and protection under his care. And picture this, while your enemies look on and can't touch you. They can't lay a finger on you. You're there with the Lord. You anoint my head with oil. Now David would have equated this to when he was anointed the king. But it was also done by a gracious host to a special guest. God anoints our head with oil. You have a sack around your brain. And you know it doesn't matter what kind of oral drugs you take or anything. They cannot penetrate that sack. Did you know oils can? It's almost like God knew what he was doing. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. My cup overflows. He will provide more for us than we can ever hold. Let me ask you a question. How full would your cup be if it was based on the fullness of your faith? How full would your cup be? Let me put it another way. How full would your cup be if it was only filled with everything you thanked God for yesterday? 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was envisioning the direction of his life as it centered around the fellowship and communion with the Lord. He could envision this because he rested in the care of the Lord. The first time we hear the word rested is in Genesis 2-2. After God had created the entire universe and the world, he rested on the seventh day, the day of Sabbath rest. I want you to see something interesting. The first six days, there was morning, there was evening, and there was the next day. They all ended. When we get to the day of rest, the Sabbath rest, it's eternal. It never ends. And as believers, we can rest, the Sabbath rest, with God on that day. And we know we can do that because of Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. How about that day? How about that day when we put off all this temporal stuff and get to rest in the care of the Lord? But you have to have insurance. you got to have gap insurance. Several years ago, I bought a brand new car. I wasn't making good decisions then. And I bought it with no money down. And the salesman looked at me and he said, buddy, you're going to need some gap insurance. I said, what's gap insurance? He said, well, let me tell you something. The minute you sign that piece of paper, that becomes a used car in the eyes of your insurance company. He said, and if you drive out of this parking lot and total that car, there's going to be a gap between what the insurance is going to pay for and what you owe us. He said, you need some gap insurance. We have that gap insurance in Jesus Christ. The policy is paid in full. And it's there waiting for you. All you have to do is accept the terms. If there's anybody here who has not gotten that gap insurance policy, or if you're ready to make a next step, we'll be glad to meet you back there at the next steps area. Let's pray. Most holy and gracious Father, we can, because of the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, rest in your care. Your perfect, pleasing care. Lord, I look forward to that day when all of this has wasted away and we can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.